It's Tuesday, September 7th, and you're tuned into the Cleveland Baseball Talk podcast. I'm Joe Noga, joined by Paul Hoynes, our tribe beat writer. Hoynes, the Indians fall 5-2 to uh, last night at Progressive Field in the opener against the Twins. Uh, they've had a tough time with the Twins this year. They're, they're what, 5-8 and eight against them in, in 13 games? And, uh, you know, everybody else seems to be handling the Twins pretty well. Uh, the Indians have struggled. And, uh, you know, the, the one bright spot was Fran Mil Reyes. Uh, he hit a 423-foot moonshot into the, to the bleachers uh, for the only runs of the game for the Indians. Uh, Fran Mill now has home runs in three consecutive games. And it looks like, uh, you know, Terry Francona is always fond of saying, you know, as cold as they get, they can they can get that hot and, and just carry you. They get just as hot and, and, and carry you. Uh, guys like Framil can do that. Uh, and that's what we've, seen, what we've seen over the last three or four games. Yeah, definitely. That's a classic power hitter kind of, uh, you know, you trail a paper trail that he's left. You know, he was, what, 1 for 17 or 0 for 12 against Kansas City. Uh, extends it to one for 17, the first game in uh, Boston, and then goes off. You know, he he was four for four Sunday. He had the big game um, last night, another home run. Uh, came off the bench Saturday and hit the two-run pinch hit homer in the ninth to tie it up. So he's on one of those rolls. And and Joe, it, it always amazes me. I, I know we've talked about this before, but uh, I used to watch Albert Bell do this. And when he would start hitting singles up the middle or to the right center field, you knew something was percolating in there, that the power was coming. And, you know, that's what, that's what we, that's what I saw with, with Reyes on, on that last trip, you know, that he, a a little single just kind of lights the fire and all of a sudden the ball is flying over the monster. So, so now we have to go and do uh, Albert Bell to Framil Reyes comps. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> I gotta. That, that's the next post I got to start deep diving on. Is you know how does Framil Reyes compare to Albert Bell's best three seasons with the Indians? That kind of thing. Uh, oh boy, uh, this is a deep. This is a deep dive that I do not want to undertake, especially if it takes me into the the, the personality realm because uh, Framil Reyes and Albert Bell are could, couldn't be more different in that way you know, when, when, in terms of talking to each other, but, uh, but I'll tell you what, uh, Framil, after he hit the pinch hit home run on what Saturday, was it? Yeah. Um, he, he didn't want to do press. He didn't want to do yeah, media. I, I, I didn't know I, what was going on. Yeah. That's, that's, so that, that's unusual because we love our, you know, five minutes of zoom time with, with Framil after a game, especially after a, a game when he hits a big home run, I guess maybe because they eventually lost the game would be a reason why he he declined to to come in and, and do the zoom but uh yeah, unusual not uh not not your typical fram mill in, in that situation and i hope that's not a trend or a precedent that he uh he sort of goes with uh speaking of precedents or trends uh logan allen uh came out gave up five runs on i believe eight hits in this outing uh again not a not a great outing but the one the one i guess positive you can take away from this, he was aggressive in the strike zone. He did throw his slider to both sides of the plate. And when, uh, you know, that first inning, when he gave up, uh, you know, two runs in the first 10 pitches of the game, he didn't let it completely derail at that point, which is what we would have seen uh, the first time around with Logan Allen this season. He, he was able to sort of, you know, right the ship and get the Indians 
you know, five and a third innings, which they, they pretty much desperately needed at that point. Yeah, that's a good sign, definitely, Joe, because he, he was coming off two decent starts. Um, I think the Twins knocked him around earlier in the season, and uh, so this is a club that he's had some problems with. And uh, but that's a, that's maybe a sign of maturation here. Just you know, a little guy, a guy that is getting more confidence. He's knowing he knows that he's going to be get the next turn in the rotation, especially if they say with the the six you know the six man rotation here. Or, I don't know if that's just this week or how they, you know, handle these double headers coming up in, 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 uh, you know, next, next week in the, you know, that stretch of 10 games. But uh, yeah, I think we're starting to see, you know, a guy getting his feet on the ground and, and getting a chance that he knows that he's going to get a chance to, to pitch the next five days, even if, you know, his start doesn't go that well. Right. And, you know, you bring up a good point about being confident, uh, being comfortable, in that position, uh, really with Logan Allen, I think the whole, it's not mechanical. It's not physical. <laughs> He's got the stuff. Uh, that slider is, it's a good pitch. He, he, he's got the stuff to pitch at this level. It's all just between the ears right now. And, and when he executes, he can be very effective. We saw that against a good Boston team. Yeah, definitely. And, uh, you know, it's, it's just another, another arm for the Indians to, uh, kind of stockpile to consider and uh, what are they going to do with all these guys, Joe, if everybody. Well, if 2021 has shown us, if 2021 has shown us anything, it's that you can never have too much starting pitching uh, or, or arms uh, available. Uh, Ask JC Mejia uh, about that. I think uh, you you really have to. So is JC Mejia even on still on the team? (laughs) Hey, uh, this one's going to, this one's going to blow your mind. Uh, When's the last time James Karinczak pitched in a game? That's going to, yeah, That's well, a, you know, he's. I talked to somebody. I talked to. I think somebody was talking about that, and he is. He's down in tri- AAA, but he's just working on the side, working really? on bullpens and stuff. Not working yeah. in games. Wow. Yeah. So they're the neck. They're they don't want him pitching in games until they they think they got him straightened out. Interesting. Very interesting. Uh, all right. Another uh, another stat, sort of <laughs> another area of of you know, I guess positive uh, momentum here for the Indians. Uh, right now uh, is on the base paths. Uh, they Miles Straw in the second inning last night stole uh, stole second base, and it was his seventh stolen base with the Indians, his 24th overall this season. But the Indians have now stolen 28 consecutive bases without being caught, without being thrown out, and uh, that's a franchise record. Uh, that's that's the most that they've they've ever had in their in, in their history since. The stolen base was uh, was tracked as a stat. Uh, the major league record, I believe, is 40 by Boston in 2013 uh, across to 2014. But, uh, you know, I, I don't know if this is a, a major league record that they need to be concerned about, but 28 consecutive steals is, is nothing to sneeze at. Yeah, that's really impressive. And, uh, you know, they've got some speed with uh, Straw, with, uh, you know, uh, uh, Rosario, uh, you know, and, uh, down at the bottom, uh, Zimmer, and then him, Jimenez has, has stole some bases, three or four bases against Boston. So, uh, and I think, you know, kind of the, the uh, you know, in the bushes, uh, trying to trigger man to this is Sandy Alomar at first base. Right, yeah. Sandy's, uh, I've been saying all along, uh, Sandy is the uh, the cheat code over there at first base. Any guy who can can give Austin Hedges and Fran Mill Reyes their first <laughs> career stolen bases, 
in in uh, in, in the same season. Uh, his he's he's sort of the uh, the steel whisperer over there at first base, uh, and and he makes the difference for sure. Uh, and and you've got Jose Ramirez, who again yeah. who runs the bases as well as anybody in, in in baseball, and he'll take chances and he will, you know, most of the time be successful. You look at Rosario; he has not been caught this year. He's twelve for twelve. Uh, same with Jimenez; he has not been caught this year. He's ten for ten. I think Bradley Zimmer has been caught uh, once or twice. Uh, he's got twelve steals on the year. So uh, again, the 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 stolen base is sort of an obsolete stat uh, in, in the modern game of baseball and the, in the, especially in the American league, but you know, who knows, it could come back around again. It could come into play and maybe the team builds itself for next season around that speed and around that, that ability to take bases and, and move runners. Well, the key is Joe, if you're going to steal bases, you got to convert them into runs. Mm-hmm. You know, you, first you have to steal bases successfully with about an 80%, you know, success rate. Then you got to turn those into runs and, you know, you've got to hit them with runners in scoring position. You've got to show some power when you get those guys, you know, in scoring position. And, you know, they, you know, it's surprisingly, I think they've shown some power here. Don't you think with the, well, yeah, they've, they've shown power. They have, what they haven't shown is the ability to put the bat on the ball in those situations. I think uh, after Miles Straw stole that base last night, uh, Ahmed Rosario struck out to end the inning. So uh, that, that's not going to get you anywhere. Uh, the, the unfortunate thing is, uh, you know, I believe since Miles Straw came over from Houston, his batting average on balls in play is uh, like 355, which is fourth in the American League, actually fourth in baseball uh, behind uh, Ahmed Rosario uh, in that time frame and Aaron Judge and Ty France from uh, um, Seattle. So he's among the best in the game at putting the ball in play and getting base hits. Unfortunately, he's the one on base at the top of that order that, <laughs> that you would want to be moving around. So, uh, you know, and I don't see him moving out of that spot anytime soon. But, but Miles Straw sort of fits that profile of get him on, get him over, get him in with yeah. uh, the ability to put the bat on the ball. Definitely. He's, uh, you know, he's kind of one of those action players uh, and – I think he's fit, like you said, Joe. He's he's been a perfect fit that in uh, not only in center field for his defense, but in that leadoff spot for being able to get on base and kind of you know giving his teammates chances. And if you look at it, if you look at him, even his lead, his first at bats of the game, you know even when he doesn't get on base, he usually extends the count to three two or you know deep goes works deep into the count. He gives his his teammates a chance to see the pitchers what the opposing pitcher has that day. Yeah, he gives you one of those uh, sort of Yankee at bats, uh, or uh, you know, Red Sox at bats, where they 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 see a lot of pitches. Those two teams always at the top of the league in terms of seeing number of pitches per at bat. Uh, you know, speaking of action guys and uh, guys who who do a lot at the top of the order, Jose Ramirez last night did something that he hasn't done uh, in a full calendar year. Uh, it was September fifth against. Milwaukee's Brandon Woodruff was the last time that Jose Ramirez bunted for a base hit. And you saw him in, I believe, his his second at bat last night, uh, drop one down the third baseline against that exaggerated shift uh, to the right side. And and he was safe at first on a ball that they could do nothing with. Yeah, that's a great play. And, uh, you know, sometimes you wonder why players don't do that. And I don't know if maybe, uh, you know, (laughs) 
maybe uh, Minnesota felt like that was a win. You know, if he, they'll, they'll give him that bun hit every, every time. Well, Fran Mill Reyes followed that with a 423-foot two-run homer. So okay. I don't know how much of a win it was, but yeah, go on. But yeah, but no, no, yeah, but it's a good play. And I guess it just depends what time, what part of the game you do it in. But, you know, everybody at, at home and, you know, watching on TV or in the stands last night saying, why don't they do that every time? You know, they, they went, especially against the shift. Right. Yeah. And uh, it was funny because uh, Willans Estadio, the third, uh, at the time he was playing third base for the, uh, the twins, he came over and just sort of, he, he, you could tell that his, uh, he was sort of beaten on the play. He just sort of kicked the ball foul and the umpire, uh, you know, ruled, he ruled fair ball, obviously, because he yeah. touched it in fair territory, but Estadio was, you know, he's like, ah, you got me. Uh, what am I going to do? Hey, he doesn't move very well anyways in the first place. He's sort of a, a portly fellow over there at third base. So uh, it was it, it was just, you know, good to see that. Hey, if if Jose's going to keep adding little wrinkles like that, uh, he becomes impossible to defend if that's, the, if that's the case. Yeah, and that'll be, you know, they'll, if he keeps doing that, they won't shift so much against him, and it'll uh, open up other holes on the field. They'll still shift against him. I mean, he's... <laughs> Hey, you look at his profile, man. He is a dead pull hitter no matter what side of the plate he's on. So uh, they will still continue to shift him, I'm sure. All right. Uh, the With uh, Labor Day being yesterday and with the Hall of Fame induction ceremony uh, coming up tomorrow, uh, Wednesday, uh, you've got to look at uh, the name that, that really jumps off the page right now. Uh, Marvin Miller waited so many years to, to go into the Hall of Fame. Uh, let's take this as an opportunity. You know, obviously Miller means so much to the players association, uh, so much to, to labor and, and, the you know, the, the conditions that the, the, the players play under now, um, with, with free agency and, and all that he did for major league baseball, uh, players. Uh, we've also got to talk about the labor situation coming up here at the end of the year and whether or not there's, there's even going to be a season in 2022, uh, that could be in jeopardy uh, with the, uh, the the CBA uh, coming up, uh, coming due, uh, ne- negotiations on that. Just uh, your thoughts on Marvin Miller going into the uh, the Hall of Fame. Well, it's well-deserved, Joe, and it should have happened 10 or 12 years ago. I mean, I think this was maybe his fifth or sixth time on the on one of the, uh, you know, the ballots of the, uh, you know, the kind of the splintered veterans committee that has been splintered into three different groups, and he sh- you know, he certainly should have been in. Uh, what kept him out is that the ba- that the the electorate, the people voting on it, there was always a couple owners on there, mm-hmm. and the owners they carry a grudge for a long time, man, and they kept him off. I mean, there's not a player today that shouldn't, you know, genuflect and make the sign of the cross when uh, when Marvin Miller's name is, is is mentioned because he he formed a union, he he made the union into one of the most powerful you know, sports unions in, in, uh, in the world, uh, got free agency for players, you know, raised the minimum, minimum value, got the, uh, you know, the reserve clause thrown out, uh, beat the owners time and time and time in court, proved that uh, the players would strike and, would, and the, the, the owners would always buckle, always buckle, and the players stayed unified and uh, you know he's made the he made the union what it was today, and there's still a lot of people, still a lot of older older owners and and 
you know, baseball executives that resent that. And that's why it's taken them so long to get in. Yeah, I think uh, getting their reserve clause thrown out and Kurt Flood and, you know, the whole situation there uh, it just it, it really set up, set up or set in motion the, the wheels for uh, just how we have come to accept the way that baseball operates now with, you know, with free agency and with, you know, these these salaries. It, it, it started the whole, you know, domino effect of that. And, uh, you know, you can see why the players should be be reverent of him. Uh, for certain for his contributions to the game and to just to their, to their ability to go out there and play it at the level that they do. Uh, the other um, sort of aspect of this is that, you know, you've got this uh, collective bargaining agreement coming up at the end of the year. Now uh, they've already started, they've already made proposals and started, you know, sort of poking around at this. So we've heard about the, uh, the possibility of a hundred million dollar salary floor uh, something that's sort of a different approach to uh, addressing uh, the sort of inequities on, in payrolls in, in, in the game. Uh, you know, what are your thoughts on, you know, whether or not we're going to be playing baseball in, in 2022, at least on time? Well, you know, Joe, whenever you talk about these two, these two entities negotiating, you got to expect the worst. And uh, we've been We've been programmed to expect the worst. You know, we have had labor peace in baseball since 94. You know, it's the longest stretch in history. Um, I, well, maybe not in history, but since, you know, probably the reserve clause was thrown out. And, um, you know, I, I think it is encouraging that they're talking now, that they're not waiting till, you know, the last minute to, to start these negotiations. But, you know, the, you know, the worst is coming. You know, storm clouds are coming and, you uh, you know, I, I, I really, I don't know. I can't predict anything. I, you know, would there, could there be a lockout? You know, I've been through all that stuff before and it, <laughs> and it's just, it's just terrible. It ruins the game. You know, it brought the game to the brink in 94 when they, when they struck and, and uh, canceled the world series. And, uh, you know, it took, uh, you know, a long time for baseball to recover. And, uh, yeah. and yeah. both those sides know that. And if they want to do that to again, this you know they're both they you know uh, you know what do they say a, a curse on both their houses? <laughs> so yeah. you know it, it, they they know what's at stake, and I think it's encouraging that they're talking now. But you know that you know it's coming. You know there's there's going to be it, the worst is yet to come here. Yeah, and you know for for you as somebody who's who's seen this and been through this before, uh, you know it'll be it'll be interesting. We'll we'll rely heavily on your sort of uh, experience in this regard as we move forward over the next couple of months uh, while they negotiate this. Uh, the other guy, I, go tried, I tried to erase that all from my mind, Joe, because it, it was so irritating, but, but uh, Hey, it, it is what it is. Yeah, that's uh, we, we can get into more. Believe me, there will be more discussions about this topic on this podcast uh, as we get closer to uh, you know, the end of the season and beyond. Uh, the other guy going in, one of the other guys uh, besides Ted Simmons going into the Hall of Fame tomorrow, uh, Derek Jeter. Uh, obviously, uh, this is a guy who killed the Indians for, for years and years and years. Uh, what's a standout moment for you uh, when you think of Derek Jeter? What's the, the first thing that pops into your head, whether it's you know him beating the Indians or him beating somebody else? Uh, obviously, the, 
the iconic moment, the, the, the flip against Oakland in the playoffs, uh, that play just sort of stands out to me. Uh, the idea of him diving into the stands countless times, you know, coming out all bloodied, uh, going hard after foul balls that way. Uh, the, the, the jump throws from, from shortstop that he sort of uh, popularized, and now everybody just thinks, you know, they call out Jeter every time they, they jump and try to throw to first. Uh, you know, those kinds of things stand out. But does, does anything in your mind, you know, pop out, any, even if it's not on the field? Well, I think he made his debut against the Indians. Right. And I remember him uh, beating the Indians. I think it was in that game. He went out on a, you know, in the ninth inning with runners on base. I'm pretty sure he went, you know, kind of ranged into a left field and made a catch to, uh, you know, kill a rally. Uh, but the thing that re- I, that I, I remember is in the World Series, I think maybe 2000 against uh, Arizona, when uh, he extended the World Series to game seven with, I think it was a leadoff home run on November November 1st and the headlines the next day were Mr. November, you know, so <laughs> it, I think that I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure my memory's a little foggy, but I think he, you know, he extended that and to game seven and they lost, but uh, that, you know, that, that kind of, kind of, kind of symbolized Jeter. He wasn't a power hitter, but he did what he had to do in almost every situation to help the Yankees win. Yeah, he, he wasn't a power hitter, but he he hit home runs when he needed them. And I, I believe, did he, for his 3,000th hit, wasn't his 3,000th hit a home run? I I'm yeah. pretty yeah. sure it was, yeah. That, so, you know, uh, he was able to do things uh, at the plate that when he was fully healthy, he, he was impossible to pitch to uh, because he, he could he, – he could, you couldn't fool him and he could cover any pitch, so – uh, I know uh, one of our colleagues, Mandy Bell, she grew up a, a huge Derek Jeter fan, and, and she will, will tell you that he has all these iconic moments and everything like that. But, uh, you know, the ones that stand out to me are just him making the routine plays over and over again uh, at, at shortstop and then just him coming up with so many hits against the Indians. He just, he just tortured the Indians at the plate, and, and that's, uh, you know, you love him, but you hate him. Yeah, I remember uh, when Corey Kluber might have been one of his early starts. He was facing the Yankees. He hit Jeter in the head in the batting <laughs> in the batting helmet. And I know Ruben Ruben Niebla was talking about that once, and he said, "You know, I always wondered, you know, how Kluber was going to you know respond to that. You hit, you know, you hit the face of the Major League Baseball in the head, and uh, thankfully, you know, Kluber. I mean, uh, Jeter wasn't hurt, but." It's nothing to laugh at, but you know, Kluber came back and, and pitched well. And and Niebla said, "That's when I knew that this guy was going to be okay." But but I and and we talked to Jeter after the game. He goes, "Hey, it hurt to get it. It hurts to get hit in the head." Yeah, doesn't feel good. All right, Heinze, we'll uh, as the series against the Twins will continue tonight. We'll be back here tomorrow to talk about uh, Tuesday night's game here on the Cleveland Baseball Talk podcast. All right, Joe.